Welcome to the Bailu Podcast. Please note the information in this podcast is general in nature and does not take into account your personal objectives, financial situation or needs. Welcome to the podcast. Uh, today we're checking in with LNC Bailu's Chief Investment Officer, Malcolm Wood, for an update on the economic outlook as well as the outlook for investment markets both in Australia and around the world. Welcome back to the podcast, Mal. A little while since we've spoken. Good to have you back on. Thanks, Nick. Uh, pleasure to be here. Uh, now, Mal, can I ask you a question off the top? Do you like football? Yes, I do. Um, do you mean Australian rules or, or, or football, soccer or rugby league? What well, do you mean? In this case, I mean either or, because um, I don't know if you've been watching any of your footy, but um, there's, there's this uh, thing where they have the artificial crowd noise and... Uh, <laughs> I've been working on something for the for the Bailey podcast, so I'm just going to reintroduce you and just add something. See if you can uh, pick up what we're doing. Uh, welcome to the podcast again, Malcolm Wood. There we go. Oh, mate, that's that's as good as being at the MCG. <laughs> anyway, um, that's a bit of fun. But listen, to sum up, I guess since the five or six weeks that we've been talking, things uh, I guess economically have shown a reason to cheer in that. Uh, news hasn't turned out quite as bad as we might have been expecting, certainly a couple of months ago. So how's the economic progression and recovery tracking from your perspective? Uh, I think you really need to go by market a little bit, uh, Nick. Um, in Australia's case, I think the evidence is growing that the economy troughed around about Anzac Day, and we've had a pretty good bounce since then. Some of the evidence for that includes uh, retail sales. We've got a provisional retail sales for May, uh, which are up 5% year on year and up over 4% versus pre-COVID levels. We've had CBA card spending data, which includes goods and services. Uh, That was down mid-teens in April and and so far in June, that's up about 6% year on year. Consumer confidence has had a good rebound and then we had this... uh, Purchasing managers survey um, for June, a, a flash number, uh, which suggests we're back in positive territory there with a reading of about 52, which uh, actually is uh, above pre-COVID levels as well. So all of that, those pieces of data would suggest that Australia's seen a good bounce from that uh, April low. Uh, elsewhere, the, the data is a little bit more mixed. Yes, it looks like there's a recovery, but mainly from far deeper declines and mainly more muted. Let me give you a couple of examples. So whilst I said that retail sales in Australia in May were 4% above pre-COVID levels, in uh, the US they were about flat. In the UK they were down about 10 and in Canada, slightly slightly better than that. So there's big divergences between what we mean by recovery because some of it's coming from much, much lower levels. So the news, uh, and we're talking on uh, Thursday, 25th of June uh, in the afternoon. So the news over the last couple of days is that the um, COVID-19 um, trends uh, in the three biggest states in the US, California, Texas and Florida, um, have increased Um, Is there any alarm there and what are the economic implications of um, some of this Mm. negative news? I think it is concerning and we've been highlighting this for a couple of weeks, but um, markets uh, don't seem to have focused on it until until overnight. Uh, I I think it does make it more difficult for a full reopening of the US to occur, certainly in the near future. 
Um, and you know, I, I think there's a possibility that to well, certainly they'll have to step up uh, enforcement of social distancing um, at a minimum. Um, the US is doing pretty good testing now. They're up to a similar testing rate to us. Uh, but of course, they've had a lot more cases than we've had. Mm. And uh, the death rates uh, close to 100 times Australia. So, you know, you need to put them in that context. So, yeah, it's a challenge for the US. And of course, if there's a lot of cases uh, out there, you would have to think that uh, consumers will be a little bit more on the cautious side, which just says to us that the US recovery might be a little slower than the markets are currently discounting. Yeah, okay. So some of your um, published work just a few days ago, um, you wrote that Australia to decouple from the US. So mm. um, I guess that's related to what we're just talking about, but take us through mm. your uh, thesis on the difference between mm. Australia and the USA. Yeah, yeah I put it, I put it, the title was, I thought it was a good title, uh, Australia with a, instead of a U, a, a capital V versus USA, capital U. And uh, I think on seven of eight criteria, we look better positioned than the US here. And that now obviously containment of COVID and the restart are two of those. Our, I think our fiscal stimulus, which is similar in size to the US at about 10% of GDP, is better directed than in the US. In the US, we've got political risk with the whole lead up to a very important election in November with the presidential election and uh, all the implications of that for the next four years. Um, in addition, when you look at things like where our economy's position versus the US, we think we're better positioned to deal with a post-COVID environment than the US. And uh, Consumer confidence has recovered, as I said, uh, in Australia, but it's still down about 20% from pre-COVID levels in the US. So we wrap that all together and say, well, we actually think Australia looks better positioned in the US on all criteria except monetary policy, where the Fed has been more aggressive than the Reserve Bank. But we think they need to be, given those other factors I just mentioned. So when we brought that back to markets, we said, well, the US trading on 22 times forward earnings is really discounting a pretty strong U-shaped recovery right now, whilst uh, we in Australia are uh, trading on a lower PE of about 19 times. When we put that forward to next year, we think we're on 16 times on a U recovery, but on a V recovery, we're on something more like 11 times and, and, and we're in the V camp for Australia. So we think there's far better opportunities here in Australia than in the US at this point in time. And, and that, that's what we're recommending clients do, overweight Australia um, versus international markets, particularly the US. Okay. All right. Well, we'll wrap up um, with your asset allocation in a few moments' time, as we always do. Let's just check in on the labour market. What's the, the latest data for Australia and, and other mm -hmm. major economies around the world and how's that tracking? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So again, it's, a, it's sort of a similar story where you know, employment in Australia has fallen 6.5% versus pre-COVID levels and our unemployment rate's risen to 7%, 7.1%. Uh, but, yep. of course, you need to put this in the context of what's happened elsewhere. And, you know, as we've been uh, reminding people, you know, in the US, the uh, unemployment rate for the same period is not 7 but 13 13.3%. Uh, and for Canada, which is a pretty similar economy to ours, it's 13.7%. So 
the employment hit in Australia has been large and obviously devastating for a lot of people, but it's been far, far less than elsewhere. Just to give you a sense on how big a surprise that is, the Reserve Bank in their May monetary policy statement said that they thought hours worked, which is a sort of another measure of the labour market, would fall 20% in the first half. So far, it's down just over 9%. That's year to May. So I think that, you know, that says we've we've come out of this a lot, lot better than uh, certainly they were expecting. And, uh, and, and I think that sort of goes with a lot of these uh, indicators that Australia's seen a smaller decline and has seen a healthy bounce. So, so far, Mal, so far. So we're talking yeah, today correct. on Thursday, the 25th. Um, you know, today Qantas has announced some substantial uh, job cuts um, across its business, about 6,000 people, which is obviously, you know, very unfortunate for those involved. Mm. Uh, a lot of the headlines in the financial press at the moment, um, Mal, are talking about an economic cliff when the JobKeeper mm. in mm. particular ends around about September. We don't know if it'll be mm. extended at all at, at, at this point anyway. So what about the view that uh, we fall into a bit of a hole post that, that stimulus period? Yes, and I think this is a key key risk that is keeping investors out of our market. And it sort of begs the question uh, politically, why would we step away from the economy if if it's needed in October when, I, given what we've just said about where every other economy is, they'll definitely be doing additional stimulus between now and then. Mm. So, so I think that's one thing that people need to understand. The second is those who are telling us there's going to be a cliff we're also telling us a couple of weeks ago, a couple of months ago, that the economy was going to be a lot, lot worse than it seems to be turning out to be. Now, you have to sort of explore what's happened here. One is we've successfully contained coronavirus, so we've reopened earlier than people expected, more successfully than the consensus expected. I think the hit to our growth from the supply side lockdowns is somewhere in the range of 2.5%. Earlier, I was thinking it would be 3 to 4%. On the other side, whilst JobKeeper is smaller than expected, that's actually a good news story because it means that a, a lot fewer, a lot smaller number of jobs are being supported by um, fiscal policy. So the, stim- the stimulus is 10% of GDP. So you've got 2.5% headwind, confidence which has declined and now bounced back, You've got this stimulus of 10% of GDP all between late April and the end of September. That is a big number, Nick. Mm. So I think when you put that together, we're likely to have an economy which is operating at a far higher level than anybody thought in the third quarter. Yes, there may be a little bit of a setback beyond that, but again, begs the question, why couldn't there be some targeted support for sectors like international tourism-related sectors? Uh, Because they will be obviously continuing to face uh, headwinds there, Uh, but take off the support for all those other sectors that no longer need it. They're back to normal. And, And so I suspect what will happen in the fourth quarter is we'll have good economic momentum, We'll have a bit more of the economy reopening. Uh, and on the other side of that, you'll have some of this stimulus effect unwinding. But the net of that, I think, is going to be far less than a so-called fiscal cliff. And I, I guess uh, what you say is right in the sense that JobKeeper ended up being uh, less 
than they thought through a, a, a bit of a debacle. And about but, half, half the size, yes. But, but at the end of the day, that liquidity or that, that fiscal stimulus is there if it's needed and, uh, and no one said it needs to be binary. You know, they don't, t- they don't necessarily need to turn the taps off all the way straight away on the 1st of October yeah, if yeah. it's required. And I, and I, yeah, and I think it's important that people remember the experience of 2009 when fiscal policy was left on for too long. And so what happened was we ended up lifting interest rates way before anybody else in the global economy lifted interest rates. That had the unfortunate effect of lifting the currency to extraordinarily high levels, unfortunately, unless you wanted to go on a trip to... Uh, uh, to Europe, I guess, um, but um, but that policy mix was wrong. So what we want to do is get the federal government backing off because sort of fiscal policy is a bit of a blunt tool mm. and it enables the Reserve Bank to reassert its role of um, managing the more day-to-day movements in the economy. So I think we need to be careful what we wish for. We don't want... Buildings being built long after we need them and bats and whatever else have you like we had in 2010-2011. So, um, having said um, all of that, uh, being optimistic, the market, um, as you say, has put on um, a reasonable amount. So, uh, what's your Mm. view on uh, the domestic equity market as we sit here today and and how do we wrap that um, into the context of a, a portfolio and preferred asset allocation in your opinion? Yeah, so Nick, we're, we're quite constructive on our market. We think it will outperform global markets and will perform well in absolute terms. So we have a 6,500 index target for the next 12 months. And that's assuming we get a good recovery. We don't have to put in a V-shaped recovery to get that target. What we need is a U-shaped recovery and ongoing good PE multiples, which we think we will have. Um, and so we're overweight Australia. Uh, we've gone back to about an equal weight or a, a sort of a neutral on international equities. Within that, we think that the best placed region is East Asia, which a bit like Australia has done a good job in containing COVID and we think can manage, uh, can manage the recovery better than the US and Europe. So that's our uh, key asset allocation on the equity side. On the fixed income and defensive side, the returns there are going to be low uh, for the foreseeable future. Cash is going to stay at around zero and bond yields are going to be held down by central banks. So we tend to take a view that uh, we only want to hold uh, a lot of those when we're quite cautious about uh, the equity outlook. So at this point in time, uh, we're underweight bonds uh, and about neutral on cash. Hey, uh, Mal, good to touch base. Uh, Thank you very much for your time once again. Thanks. Thanks, Nick. All the best. Thank you. There we go. Okay. Good on you, mate. Bye. You have been listening to The Value Podcast. The information in this podcast is general in nature and does not take into account your personal objectives, financial situation or needs. You should not rely on general advice without making your own inquiries or your own assessments about the suitability of the financial products or services mentioned. 